your Bibles for the text this morning and turn to the book of James. The book of James, and let's stand together as we read the text. Do so in honor of God's Word. We're going to look at verse 12 through verse 16 this morning. The book of James, chapter 1, starting in verse 12 through verse 16. The Bible says this in James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Let's bow our heads. Father, come to you again asking for your blessing, and we are thankful for this day, and we are thankful for this opportunity. Open our hearts, open our minds, and do the work in us that only you can do through your Holy Spirit. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled this sermon, The Anatomy of Sin. The Anatomy of Sin. I don't know if you remember that class in school. Maybe it's been a while since we've thought about school. I try to forget some of it. (laughs) Glad I'm not in school anymore. I see my kids and all the homework that they have to do. But I do remember one of the classes that I found absolutely fascinating was anatomy, or whatever they call it, biology or whatever. But just studying the human body and all of its amazing systems, it just kind of blew my mind how intricate we are made. The nervous system, the circulatory system, all of these things that are contained within each and every body and how they work together, how they depend on each other to form this this amazing creation of God. That was one study or one class that just solidifies in my mind that every human being is a creation of God. We're not an accident. We're not here by chance. We are intelligently and wonderfully designed. In fact, the Bible says so, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I've, I've always been fascinated by things like that, how things work. And maybe that's why I became a mechanic for most of my career. But It's passages like this that really spark my interest. Because what we have before us in in our text today is, is an anatomy of sin. He breaks down what happens when we sin. What works together to produce that wrong action or that wrong thought, if you will. What happens to bring about sin? And when he tells us that, therefore he tells us also how to prevent it. And I don't know that much of us give thought to this process. I wonder if we think of sin as something that just happens. Like, it kind of pops out of nowhere without warning. Whoops, did the wrong thing. Whoops, I said the wrong thing. Like, there's not a way to control it or to prevent it. I mean, we kind of try. We, we think that, you know, if we do the right things long enough or well enough that it won't pop up and, and uh, just kind of have it 
have us at its mercy. But what we need to be aware of is, aware of is that that is not the case. Sin is not something that's forced on us. Sin is not something that's beyond our control. Yes, we have a sin nature, but those of us who know Christ as Savior, we've been born again, haven't we? We have a new nature. We are a new creation. We have a new spirit within us made in the image of God, and we have some control of things now. Sin is not something that we cannot control. We can, because we choose to sin. And I think that's true across the board, actually. Regardless of your upbringing, regardless of how somebody's brain is supposedly wired, because that's the thing of, uh, that I've, I've heard, especially in, in my time growing up, that people are wired to be a certain way, so they can't help it, right? They are this way because they can't help it. They're made this way or their brain is wired this way. Well, listen, I don't care what way your brain is wired. We make a willing choice to either do right or we make a willing choice to do wrong, period. We make that choice. It's not something that's out of our control. We act on that choice and that action to go against the law of God, to go against the righteousness of Scripture, the choice to do that is sin. And there's a process that leads up to that action. And that's what James writes about here. He tells us we don't have to sin. And here's how. So I want to dig into that a little bit today. So let's look and see what the Word has for us this morning. The first um, thing I want to draw your attention to in the passage is that word temptation. Um, your translation might uh, use a different word, but I think most of them use that word tempted or temptation and it's the same word here used for trials earlier in the chapter. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about trials and the trying of your faith works patience and going through hard times. It's that same word. And the definition of that word used both for trials and for temptations is to put something to the test. It's proving something. And our, our faith is put to the test whether by its Conditions of things that's around us that would cause us to lack faith or, on the other side, by enticing us to sin. Both are a test of our faith and both are something that puts it to proof. And the sense in which James uses it here is exactly what we think of when we think of the word temptation. Trying to get us to sin. Trying to get us to do the wrong thing. And we all face it, don't we? There's nobody here that can say we don't face some kind of a temptation. We all face temptation. It's something that's common to every person. And that could vary. What tempts you might not tempt me. And what tempts me might not tempt you. What may be a problem for you may not be for someone else, but we all have those things that draw our hearts and our minds away from God and tempts or entices us to sin. And it's not just that one thing you think about when you hear temptation. We usually think about sexual immorality when it comes to that. You hear the word temptation, that's kind of where our minds go. But this can span many things, right? Because 
sin can come in many forms. And there's always temptation. There's always a draw out there to try to get us to do the wrong thing, to do what goes against God. And I was kind of sitting back thinking about this and what is a temptation that's out there that's pretty prevalent and what came to my mind and it's maybe something that I deal with too is anger. There's a lot of angry people, isn't there? There's a lot of angry people in the world and if I'm not careful, I can find myself angry. Just think about the past couple years and all the mess that it's been, right? Whether it's what's gone on in society or what's gone on in politics, people are pretty riled up. There's laws passed that I think are absolutely terrible and things going on in higher places that you kind of shake your head and say, what's going on? And it can make us angry. And some of it not without reason. I think there's a righteous anger, right? This latest I don't want to get too political, but I do want to say I think the latest abortion law that's been passed in our state is absolutely terrible. It's horrible. It's, it's murder is what it is, up to nine months old. And it, I think it's good if we get a little angry about stuff like that. I think it's a righteous anger. That should not be the case. That should not be the law. And we can... We can see what's going around in our country or in our state or even in our county, and it can make us angry. But there's a fine line between being righteously angry and then letting that anger consume you, isn't there? Because we can get to the point to where all that we see all the time is just the problems going on, and we're just walking around ticked off and We're missing the needs around us. We're missing the lost around us. And we're missing the opportunity to share the hope that keeps us going through all that mess. You see, there's a a temptation even there to sin. Though we might think that, well, that's not that bad of a sin, but there's still a draw, there's still an enticing to depart from uh, what God tells us to do and then go down the wrong path with it. So does does that make sense? There's temptations to do all kinds of things. What about pride? Is there temptations to be prideful or around us? Sure. Or gossip or lying or stealing and yes, sexual immorality. Listen, there's plenty of temptation out there. Just a little phrase that's used in verse 13. Look at that. Let no man say when he is tempted. It doesn't say if, it says when. It's going to come. It's going to happen. And it's going to come at you from all different angles. That's a given. Maybe it's the media or social media or people around us or even our own fallen nature because we can get ourselves into plenty of trouble. It can pop up out of nowhere. It can pop up from anywhere at any time. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. I want to be pretty clear on this. To be confronted with temptation is not a sin. Did Jesus sin when the devil tempted him? No, he didn't, did he? You can be confronted with temptation, and that confrontation or it coming into your path is not a sin. It's what we do with it. Because like I said, it's going to come from everywhere. 
Things will come across our past. Things that we shouldn't see. Things that we shouldn't hear. Or situations that we didn't initiate that can... that could present a temptation for us to sin. And I'm sure you've all had those moments like, whoa, I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear that. I shouldn't be here right now. You know, this this is bad. I need to get out of here. You probably have all had those moments. And if you see that temptation and you shut it down or you turn off that thought or you, you shut your mouth or you go a different place, that's not a sin. The problem is when we don't, Turn away from it. So, temptation is going to come across our path. And it's probably a pretty good idea to try to avoid it when we can because it's a whole other thing when we place ourselves in those situations. Willingly. There's a lot of believers, there's a lot of church members today tempting ourselves or flirting with sin and thinking it's no big deal. There's probably some things we shouldn't watch on TV. There's probably movies we shouldn't go see. There's probably some websites on our phone we shouldn't visit. Period. Why? Because it, it, it presents the opportunity for temptation which can lead to sin. But too often we don't think like that. We actually pay money to fill our minds with filth sometimes. Or we start those conversations knowing where they might lead. Or we go places and see things and hear things. We should not. All the time we say, it's fine. I'm okay. It's not that big a deal. I know it's bad, but... And then, one, then we wonder why we fall into, into temptation. We wonder why we sin. Well, maybe we ought to be careful what we're allowing in. Listen, I've been born and raised in church and I sung all the songs and I remember I remember a song singing a song as a little kid. And sometimes those are the best. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Oh, be careful. Little eyes, little ears, and little feet. We think that's for little kids. No, I need it now. Probably more so than when I was a little kid. We need to be careful what we're seeing and what we're hearing and where we go because there are, there are places we could go and things we could see and things we could hear that will open the door to temptation. Psalm 1, one says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. The scripture, said, the scripture says, evil communications corrupts good manners. It matters who we hang out with. It matters who we surround ourselves with. Are you getting your counsel from ungodly people or ungodly sources? Are we finding ourselves hanging out with people that do the wrong things? Maybe we need to check ourselves in some of those areas. Proverbs chapter 4 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Proverbs chapter 1, My son, if sinners entice thee, do not consent. 
My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. I think that needs to be made clear. Listen, temptations are going to come. There's some things that simply come across our path and there are times when we put ourselves in its way when we should avoid it. But regardless, we're going to be faced with temptation. Now let's start digging in here to some of the verses. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Temptations are going to come. Let no man say when he is tempted. That's a given. It's going to come. But when those come, we need to know that the source is not God. He says, don't let that man say, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Literally, God is not acquainted with evil. He, he doesn't even come into his roundhouse. We know that God is completely and purely holy. There is no evil with him. When temptation comes across our path, it's not from God. The draw to sin and the trap that is laid with it does not come from Him. It comes from Satan. The Scripture is pretty clear on that. It calls Him in Revelation the accuser of the brethren. We see Him in the book of Job accusing Job and and pointing the finger at Job. Satan is the one who tempted Jesus. He's the one who at the very start laid out temptation by questioning the Word of God. We see that in the book of Genesis, right? Did God really say that? And He is the one who provides the temptation. He is the source of it. And He has designed this world to run along those lines, to appeal to our flesh, to entice us to sin, to entice us to walk away from God. Just think of how marketing and sales works. Now, not all of it is sin, but you kind of get the gist. You see something and it appeals to your desires and you think about it and you go out and buy it, right? Somehow, some way, you're told that you need this. You didn't know you needed it before. You lived fine before then until that moment, but you see it. And, wow, I really like that. I got to have it. And you go out and end up buying it. Satan knows what he's doing, <laughs> He does the same with temptation. He does the same with sin. He makes it look good. He makes it look appealing to try to cater to our desires so that we act on it. He's trying to entice us to sin. Trying to appeal to that fallen nature and that flesh and to get us to choose that rather than to listen to God. God is not the source. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to appeal to our spiritual side. He's trying to get you not to sin. He's trying to get us to follow the Holy Spirit so that we can be more like Christ. No, God is not the source of temptation. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. Now, He may allow temptation to come. He did that with Job, didn't He? He may allow trials or temptation to come to test our faith. Did not he allow himself to be tempted? He allowed himself to be tempted by Satan. But the source was not him. The source is the devil. 
So, if the devil is the source, then we're not at fault when we choose the wrong, right? What's that old phrase? I forget. I don't know who said it. It's before my time. But the devil made me do it, right? You ever heard that or some form of it? The devil made me do it? No, he didn't. If we give in to temptation, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We can't blame God because it didn't come from Him. Neither can we blame the devil. Look at verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and he's enticed. The only people we can blame when we follow that temptation, is ourselves. Though we like to blame others, don't we? Especially when we get caught or when we know we've done wrong. We like to uh, try to pass the blame or, or uh, pass the spotlight onto somebody else. Well, we've been doing that from the start, haven't we? Didn't Adam and Eve do that? What did Adam say? That woman that you gave me and Eve blamed the serpent. And you can see it in your own kids when they get caught. They want to try to blame other things, right? It's human nature to try to pass the buck or get out of accountability. But it doesn't work. When we sin, no one makes us do that. No one makes that choice for us. We make that ourselves. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, when he is enticed by that. When we fall into the trap. It says we're drawn away by lust and enticed, right? You probably hear that word lust and you think of a certain thing. And sure, that can be so, but that word lust simply means desire. It means a longing. We can want many things, right? It could take many forms. And I think there's good desires and there's bad desires. The problem is we often desire the wrong thing. We, it's that fallen nature in us. We want the praise of man, so we'll put other people down. Or we want the riches of this earth, so we'll do whatever we can to try to gain the riches of this earth. Or, yeah, we want to do whatever feels good to this flesh. That desire can encompass a lot of things so it's not just simply talking about one thing it's talking about our own desires we get tempted when we let those desires drive us something catches your eye or something catches your ear and something looks good or sounds good and you think i would really like that that looks like it'd be fun or that sounds good to me and instead of turning away or closing our ears or putting it out of our mind we do the opposite. We look too long. We listen too long. We think too much on it. We dwell on it. And it's in our mind and we keep thinking about it and we keep thinking about what it would be like or what it would feel like or how it would work out. And whether we know it or not, we've already been caught in the trap. That's what that word enticed means. It means to be caught in a trap. Temptation and 
catering it to our desire and not turning away from it, once we begin to dwell on it, we get caught in the trap that Satan has set for us. We took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. Just like I'm fishing. I don't know if you've ever fished before, but there's some fish, man, they'll bite and they'll take everything. Just They're so hungry for it or whatever it is. They take the whole line and sinker and you've got to dig it out of their belly, dig it out of their gills and all of that. We can do that with temptation. We can do that with sin if we're not careful. We think it's so good and we get caught in the trap and then we bite. We get deceived into thinking whatever it is is going to satisfy our desire. Just like the mouth, mouse thinks that the cheese is good or the fish thinks that the worm is good. We get deceived into thinking that sin is good. And it's what we want and it's what we need. And our mind gets drawn into the trap. We dwell on it. You convince yourself it's good or you really just don't care because you want it so much. And then what happens? Then you act on it. Then you act on it. Whether it's over a split second or something that blurts out of your mouth or if it's over a period of time and you find yourself doing or not doing things you never imagined, you act on it. And that is sin. That's how it's produced. It starts with temptation and, and catering, our to, catering to our desires. And if we, we let it dwell there and we let it um, draw us into the trap, we're going to find ourselves acting on it. That misplaced desire coupled with temptation and following that produces the act of sinning. Look at verse 15. When lust hath conceived, it, is, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James uses an interesting metaphor here. He uses the metaphor of childbirth. Just as a husband and a wife have a desire for a child, they act on it. They think about it for a while. I remember we did. We talked about it. Should we have kids? Are we ready? We waited like five years, I think, into our marriage. Maybe, maybe a little less, a little more. I don't know. It all blends into one. <laughs> but we waited some time after we were married, and I remember talking about it, and then we both came to the decision, yeah, we really want kids now, so let's try for kids. You have a desire for it. You act on it. We made up our mind to conceive that child. You act on it, and guess what? A child is born. Starts with desire and is brought about by actions. It's the same with sin. James has drawn a pretty clear picture here. It starts with your wrong desire that you make up your mind to act on. And what does it bring forth? When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Got to be careful. Man, the battle is won or lost up here most times. Our thoughts, our desires, our heart. And we got to be careful with that because if we follow those actions, we follow those wrong thinking, it brings forth sin. There's been a phrase I've heard a lot of times and it really bugs me. When people, married people um, like look at other men or women and they say it's okay to window shop. Something along those lines. You've heard that, right? It's okay to look. I'm just window shopping or Something about a menu. I, my, my brain's a little fuzzy right now. But like it's okay to look around as long as you're married and you're faithful to your spouse. No, it's not. That's 
opening your door to, to opening the door in your mind to temptations and wrong desires that if you follow those and you dwell on those too long it could lead to sin that's just one example but that's how it happens you allow the wrong desire to lead you you get caught in the trap and you act on it and that is sin what does it say in the end of verse 15 sin when it is finished brings forth what death Sin brings forth death. Does sin produce joy? Does it make you happy? Maybe in some warped sense for a moment, but it flies away. It might be pleasing to this flesh for a moment in time, but that fades away. Does it bring satisfaction? No. Why else do you have to keep doing it to feel good? Or else once would be enough. It does not bring joy. It does not bring deep satisfaction. And it does not bring a closer walk with God. I am quite tired of hearing that over and over. People are living a life out in the world and doing the things that they are not supposed to be doing. They say, oh, I've never been closer to God. People have been lying and trying to convince the world around them of that for all of time. Sin does not make us better. It produces death. Sin is a killer. It kills relationships in the church through pride and gossip and contention. It kills marriages through adultery and bitterness and anger. It kills our own relationship with God through apathy or callousness to the Word and the Spirit. Every time it kills So it's not okay to flirt with it. We would think somebody's an idiot for going up to a lion and opening its mouth and putting your head in and looking around and counting the teeth or whatever. We think that's pretty stupid because all it takes is one chomp and you're gone, right? But we do that with sin all the time. We do that with temptation all the time. Let me get as close as I can and kind of flirt around with it and I'll be okay. I'll be okay when all this is for the trap to be sprung and we could find ourselves in trouble. That's why he says in verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren, or do not be deceived. Do not go astray. Do not go off the path. Do not be deceived. No matter how good sin looks, no matter how well it's dressed up, no matter what it's sold to you as, it kills every time. Sin doesn't make us better. Sin brings death. So why mess around with it? No, in fact, you know what we ought to do? Stay away from it. We ought to flee temptation, as the Bible says. Too many of God's people are walking the line, see how, seeing how far they can push the boundaries and how much temptation they can allow in. Be careful of the end of that. Instead, we ought to flee temptations. Finish up and look at verse 12. This is what James starts out the thought with, and I wanted to kind of use this at the end. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, and that word tried means found acceptable, when he's passed the test, he shall receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to them that love him. The implied idea there is to say no to temptation. If you're blessed and happy when you endure it, it means that you can endure it. We can say no. We can overcome temptation. You don't have to be caught by every temptation that comes up. You don't have to sin every time the opportunity presents itself. You can say no. I hope we think that way. I hope we understand that. I don't have to give in when, the, when Satan comes to entice me to sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. As in not just looking like it, but where it appears. We can stay away from that. Matthew 6.13, Jesus, in giving us the model prayer, says that we ought to pray that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you pray that for each day? Lord, keep me from temptation. Keep me away from sin today. I think that's a good prayer. Turn here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at this passage of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. I'm going to say I'm probably willing to bet you've heard it wrong. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape it, that you may be able to bear it. There's no temptation that comes on us that is outside of that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He's not going to allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but we'll make a way out. And you've probably heard this quoted as in God won't give us more than we can handle in trials. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard this verse used that way for a long time. That ain't what it says. Because I'll tell you right now, I've been through things in my life that are unbearable. I can't handle it. You know what those times do? They drive us to God, don't they? So that He carries the burdens and we find our total strength and being in Him. That's not what He's saying here. He's not saying God's not going to try you above what you are able. He is saying what He said. You won't be tempted above what you're able to bear. This is talking about temptation, and it's saying there is no irresistible temptation. There's no irresistible temptation. There's always a way out. And God will allow that way out for you. Doesn't He say that there? He will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. No matter what temptation you are going to be faced with, There is going to be a way out. Maybe it's fleeing like Joseph did. i got to get out of here. Whether it's some kind of conversation, some kind of situation, some place, some person, whatever it is, there's going to be a way out. Maybe it's putting filters on your cell phone so you don't keep going those places. Maybe it's understanding who it is that, that... 
when you talk to, you get into those conversations you shouldn't or places you shouldn't go. There's going to be a way out if you take it. For sure, one of the way outs is answering consistently with the Word of God, just like Jesus did, didn't he? Remember in his temptation, what did he say back? He quoted Scripture back. Maybe our hearts need to be full of Scripture so when the temptation comes, we can answer it correctly. There's no temptation that will break you. There's no temptation that will force you to sin. We can say no. And it might be a battle, for sure. (laughs) Especially in the moment. Maybe somebody says something that makes you really mad or gets at you, and man, you want to respond. There's a temptation there, isn't there? To say something nasty back or to have cutting speech back. Maybe in a split second, your mind just wants to let them have it. You give in to that desire, you speak that word as sin, right? But if you stop that thought and say, no, the Bible says my speech is to always be seasoned with grace. And there's a way I can respond. A soft answer turns away wrath. Or There's a way I can respond to, um, that God would have me to. And it might, you might have to bite your tongue. You ever do that literally? There's been a couple times that, oh, man. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to walk away. I'm just going to smile. But I don't want to give in to that temptation to, to, to respond in that manner. It might be a battle, but we can say no. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just, that's just one area. And it applies across all areas of our life. But we don't have to sin. There's a way out. We don't have to respond with that kind of speech or that kind of attitude or we don't have to have that prideful, arrogant spirit. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to stray in our thoughts, whatever it may be. It might be a battle, but you and I can endure temptation. We don't have to sin. We can choose not to. if we handle the temptation right. I think that is what James is trying to get across. He's trying to tell us how it works and how to recognize these own things within our own hearts so that we can endure temptation and so that we can experience the blessings that come with it. Go back to James chapter 1. I want to end with something that's said in verse 12. James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. It might be a battle, and our our mind can go silly ways, but it's so worth it to choose not to sin. It's so much better. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you've experienced that, but you ever walk away from a situation where you know you had a chance to royally mess it up and you didn't? Whether it's by speech or doing something or seeing something, whatever it is. And you come out the other side and you look back and there's like a sense of peace, like, wow, I didn't, I didn't do wrong. 
<laughs> I did what God asked me to do. This kind of this sense of joy, like, I did the right thing. Thank you, Lord. And sometimes it's hard to understand in the moment because Satan likes to deceive us. He's going to tell us that same old lie that he did in the garden. He's going to tell you that you're missing out. That you're missing the fun. It'd be so much better if you just took a drink. It'd be so much better if you just got high. It'd be so much better if you just put that person in their place. It'd be so much better if you just did what your flesh feels. It'd be so much better if you just did fill in the blank. That's what he told Eve, didn't he? Oh, if you eat the fruit, you're going to, this would be so much better. You're going to be like God. You're going to know everything. And he's just trying to keep you from that. You're missing out. Did he really did he really say that? Did he really mean that? No, I think he's just trying to he's trying to keep you guys down because there's so much more better if you would just do what he said not to do. It's the same old lie. It hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his tactics because it still works. We still fall for the thousands and thousands year old lie. It was a lie then, it's still a lie now. Sin doesn't make us better. We're not missing out on anything if we choose to do the right. We can have good, meaningful, really funny conversations without gossip and foul language in them. You can save yourself and respect the other person by waiting until your wedding day to have sex. And it will be better, infinitely better. You can have fun without alcohol. So on and so on. Don't be deceived, brethren, by what the world would tell you or what Satan would tell you. Don't be deceived into choosing death. No, in fact, we have the freedom in Christ. We have the power in Him and through the Holy Spirit to choose blessing and to choose life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. And I wonder if we ever think about the comparison that's there. The crown of life versus sin that brings death. The peace and the joy, knowing that we're walking with God rather than the pain and the suffering and the guilt that comes with sin. Sin wrecks everything. God offers us life and life more abundant. Does not Jesus say that? The choice is ours. The choice is mine. Satan does not force you to choose death. Even your own fallen nature does not force you to choose that. You have the power to say, no, I choose life. Each and every time temptation comes across your way. So choose life. Consistently choosing to sin brings death. And if you feel like your relationship with God is dead or dormant, maybe it's sin. 
Maybe we've followed temptation too many times. The same goes for your marriage or your relationships or life in general. Maybe we need to start choosing life rather than following the desire to sin. And if you find yourself there, there is forgiveness and there is grace that is offered. The Bible is clear, and I hope we never forget, if we find ourselves in sin, all we have to do is confess that sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't care if you've made a royal mess of things and the pattern of your life has been following temptation. God has the ability and the power to forgive you of that, to bring you back to where you need to be, to breathe life back into us and to keep us from falling again. Brethren, we ought to stop the process when it starts. That's why passages like this are so helpful to me. Because I see how it works. Just like taking care of your body and knowing how it all works together, it helps us this way in our spiritual life. There's a process that leads to sin. Temptation caters to our desires, and if we give in to that, we find ourselves acting and doing and saying the wrong thing. So if I can stop it when it starts... It keeps me from going down the wrong path, right? So when temptation comes, turn it away. Stop that thought or go somewhere else or bite your tongue or quote scripture or pray. Do whatever it takes, but overcome that temptation. And you can overcome that temptation. Let me just end with one more passage. One more absolutely true statement from the source of truth itself, the Word of God. Because sometimes we hear this and we think we can't. We think it's not going to work. James himself, in a couple chapters, writes this. James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You see that? That's the Word of God. That's not some feel-good statement. You can resist temptation. You don't have to sin. In fact, when the devil shows up or the world shows up or temptation shows up, you know what you can do? You can resist it. And the Bible says we resist the devil. He will flee from us. But the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Will we choose to sin? Will we choose death or will we choose life? I pray you make the right one. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you take these words this morning and by your Spirit use them as you see fit. Lord, we echo the prayer you gave us in Matthew chapter 6 where we pray not to be led into temptation but to be delivered from evil. Lord, when evil does come across our way, sin does tempt us and entice us, Lord, give us the strength to resist it, to shut down those wrong desires and to turn to you to find strength in you, that we may endure temptation, that we might find that blessing and someday that crown of life for have, being have been faithful to you, Lord. Again, do the work in us that only you can do.
And I ask this in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.